My name is Adam. So glad to be back with you all after I was away with my family for the, the Thanksgiving holiday. And don't get me wrong, I love my family, but I'm also super glad to be back. Also, very thankful to Kurt Goglin to fill in for me last Sunday. Kurt really took one for the team. I mean, there's a lot of pressure having to preach about money. And I handed Kurt that sermon. I was like, good luck. I'm going to be on vacation. And, uh, and he did a, a really great job because I know it's not always comfortable to talk about money. I've heard stories of people who have come to Bridgewater just two times within the span of two years. And every time they came, we just happened to be in one of our money series. And so they had the impression of, oh, Bridgewater, all they do is talk about money. And I don't want to be labeled as that kind of church. I mean, it's not really the most fun conversation to have. So maybe you're asking, all right, then why do we talk about it every single year? Well, Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. And so that leads me to think that money is a pretty big deal to Jesus. And if money is a big deal to Jesus, then it should probably be a big deal to us, how we view money and how we use it. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a topic that we don't normally think of as having much of relation to money. This morning, we'll be talking about worry. And as I was preparing for this message, I was trying to think of a time in my life when I was really struggling with worry and anxiety. And I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And I was like, yeah, there's, there's not a time in my life when I've really struggled with those things. And then I began to worry, like, man, if I don't have an illustration about worry and anxiety, then y'all aren't going to be able to connect with me in the message I have from God's word. And I was getting kind of anxious about coming up here this morning because I, I don't have that slam dunk illustration. All right, so you've probably caught on now. I'm just kidding. Like, I definitely have had the times in my life where I have wrestled with worry and anxiety. And I'm willing to bet that everybody here has wrestled with worry and anxiety on some level or another. Maybe you're looking ahead and you think that maybe you would lose your job over these vaccine mandates and you're worried about what happens next. Or maybe, maybe you're looking ahead to the holidays and you're a little bit worried about the, the hit that it's going to take on you financially. Or maybe... You're worried about what America is becoming. You see the gas prices going up, and you're worried about whatever the next agenda is that the government's going to start pushing. And I think a lot of us can raise our hand and be like, yep, that's me. I, I struggle with worry. And on the other hand, there's some of us who maybe have trouble identifying that we do actually struggle with worry. Or if you're like me, you, you don't say that you're worried. You're like, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. You label it concern, and all of a sudden, it's more spiritual, or it sounds a whole lot more legitimate. But this morning, we're going to be looking at God's word to see how we can identify worry in our own lives, and then look at God's solution for it. Before we get into the passage, I just want to bring our attention to this question, and it is, do you trust God with your future? And just keep that question in the back of your mind as we work our way through God's word. If you would like to follow along with me, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. 
And we'll be in verse 22. If you don't have your own copy of God's word, we have some Bibles just beyond the doors there. You are more than welcome to take one of those Bibles home with you. And that is our gift from us to you. And we'll also have it up here on the screen. So in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Now, I'll give you a little Bible study trick for free. You don't even have to go to a Bible college for this one. It's whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, ask yourself the question, what is it there for? And when Jesus says therefore, he's connecting what he's saying here to something that he said beforehand. And in this passage, Jesus is connecting what he's saying about worry to the passage that Kurt preached on last Sunday, where Jesus is addressing a crowd, and Jesus says, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so Jesus is saying, All right, so life is about a whole lot more than just possessions and things. And so don't worry about what you will eat. And don't even worry about what you will wear. And Jesus is talking to his disciples in a day and age where they didn't have refrigerators. Like you couldn't stack up the refrigerator and then just walk in there any day of the week, open it up, and you got a nice selection of food that's been preserved. I mean, they didn't have... They didn't have freezers. There was no such thing as stocking your freezer before winter time, And they didn't have fast food restaurants. And so for the most part, they had to get their food on a day-to-day basis. And I can just imagine why this would be something that they would worry about. Now, they could go to bed just worrying that some mice will like eat their supply of grain. And then they don't have the ingredients that they need to make bread the next day. Or they're thinking about going fishing and they're, they're worrying that they won't catch enough fish to eat, or maybe they won't even catch enough fish to take to the market to have the money to buy other food items. And worry is a sense of uneasiness about the future. It's when they get caught in this cycle of thinking about all the what-if scenarios about things that haven't even happened yet. So maybe you hear what Jesus is saying, and you're like, all right, don't worry about food. Don't worry about clothes. Like, all right, I don't really worry about those things. Like, there's, there's other problems in my life that seem a whole lot more legitimate than food and clothes. And I get it. I don't think I've ever gone to bed wondering if I'll have something to wear the next day. Except for one occasion, but I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> but I also try to put myself in the shoes of the disciples here. Like, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that maybe these guys only had one outfit. So imagine what they're thinking before they go to bed in their pajamas, a little bit worried that they'll wake up the next morning and find out that their donkey ain't their only pair of clothes. (laughs) And then if all their other disciple buddies only have one pair of clothes, and that's for themselves, they're kind of in an awkward situation there. And I don't think Jesus would tell them not to worry about something that they weren't struggling to worry about. 
And what Jesus says about worrying about food and clothing, that's not an exhaustive list of things to worry about. And so if Jesus was having a one-on-one conversation with you, what would he tell you not to worry about? What is it in your life now that hasn't even happened yet that's got you feeling distressed about the future? And the solution to worry, it's not ignorance. It's not even to pretend like you don't have any future challenges. The solution to worry is not even courage. The solution to worry is trust in God. And if, if we are the captains of our own ship, if we are the ones in control of our lives, then we really do have a reason to worry. But if God is in control, then we don't need to worry. So let's go to verse 24 and continue reading here. Jesus says, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Now, by show of hands, how many of you have pets? How many of you have animals living in your house? And then how many of you also have kids? All right. Now, can you imagine feeding your pet on a day-to-day basis and then meanwhile neglecting to feed your kids? That's, that's pretty awful, right? Or I've seen chihuahuas that have like more sweaters and outfits than clothes in my closet. Now, can you imagine a parent like dressing up their little chihuahua in a sweater and then sending their kids outside in the wintertime without a warm coat? That's awful parenting. No good parent would do that. But then why would we think that God would do the same thing? If God can hold the entire world in his hands, he, he gives the birds food to eat, he even sustains the vegetation. God takes care of the grass. And Jesus is saying, God loves us. He values us so much more than the rest of creation. And so if God can take care of those things in creation, I think we can have a lot of confidence that he will take care of us. And Jesus wouldn't tell us not to worry if he wasn't going to provide for our needs. I try to think about it like this. If I invited Ben to go out to dinner with me, and Ben was like, all right, that sounds like a good idea, but I can't go because I don't have my wallet. And I told Ben, hey, man, don't worry about it. And so Ben comes with me to dinner, and we're two young guys who can pack away a lot of food. So order up some big meals, and at the end of our meal, the waiter comes and gives me two bills. I take the bill for my own meal, then I take Ben's bill and slide it across the table to him. Ben looks down at the bill and looks up at me, and he's like, hey, I thought you said not to worry about it. Well, I'd be a pretty terrible friend if I told him, 
yeah, I didn't want you to worry about it. I didn't want you to think all those negative thoughts the whole time we were eating this food. That wouldn't have been a fun time to hang out with you then. And then I'd be an awful friend if I was like, all right, see you later. And he's just sitting there with this bill that he can't pay. But sometimes, aren't we skeptical that Jesus would do the same thing to us? As if Jesus is saying, don't worry, just so we can think nice, positive thoughts. And we're afraid that Jesus will just leave us high and dry when we need him. And Jesus is saying, don't worry, not just because he wants us to think nice, positive thoughts, but also because he will provide for us. And so, do you trust God with your future? And do you trust him enough that you won't worry about the things that haven't happened yet? And the second question that I want to bring our attention to this morning is, do you trust God with your possessions? Let's pick up again in verse 29. It says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. I also wanted to put the New American Standard up on the screen because I think it does a little bit better job of showing the contrast that Jesus is making here. Jesus is literally saying, don't seek what you will eat or drink, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and then God will provide what you need, what you need to eat and what you need to drink. And seeking the kingdom of God is really living for God and doing the things in this life that will earn you treasures in heaven. And to seek God first means that you don't just give God the leftovers of your life. You're not waiting until you're making an income of six figures before you start giving your money to God. It's not about just making life as comfortable and secure as you possibly can before being generous with your money and giving it to God. And Jesus is saying that if we seek God's agenda first, then everything else that we need in life will fall into place. And we just need to trust God and take him at his word that he will provide for us. And when God provides for us, he often gives us just enough right when we need it. And we see this most clearly played out for the nation of Israel. After God had delivered them from Egypt, they were wandering around in the wilderness And I am pretty positive that the whole nation would have just starved to death if it wasn't for God's supernatural provision. And so God provided food for this whole nation. He he made these kind of like a a form of bread pop up on the surface of the desert floor when the dew came. And when the people first saw it, they're like, what is it? And that's where they got the name manna, because manna means what is it? So when they're sitting at their table, they're like, they'll be like, hey, pass the what is it? I'm like, oh, here you go. We don't know a whole lot about manna. From the way that the Bible describes it, I think it looked a little bit like uh, frosted cornflakes. But let's go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 16 and just read about how God provided for this whole nation of people while they were in the desert. In Exodus chapter 16, 
And in verse 16, this is the instructions that God tells Moses to give the rest of the people about collecting the food. It says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And an omer was just a measurement during this time. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little, and they measured it by the omer. And the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses, and they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. So no matter how much they collected, they had just as much as they needed. And if they collected too much to save it up for the next day, it would just be a heap of maggots growing in it, which is super gross. And I'm almost confident that if I was among the Israelites, I'd be one of those guys who would learn the hard way. I'd be like, oh, let's go. Like, I'm going to stock up for two weeks. I probably would have had a huge mountain that just turned super nasty the next day. And I also know it would have been really hard for me to watch the sun come out and then just melt away all the food. And we're like, I really hope God shows up tomorrow. That's exactly what they had to do. They had to trust God on a day-to-day basis to provide them with food. And God could have sent them a whole pile of imperishable food, but he chose not to. And it's not necessarily because God wanted to make life so difficult for the Israelites, but maybe it's because dependence creates relationship. And those of you who have kids probably know that this can actually be a healthy thing. In 2021, it was estimated that it cost $284,000 to raise a kid from birth to 18. That's a lot of money. Like, I don't think my parents knew what they were in for when they had me. Now, imagine this scenario where your nine-year-old kid comes up to you and was like, all right, I've got a deal. I know it takes a lot of money to raise me, so if, if you just give me $142,000 right now, we'll call it even, and you won't have to buy a single thing for me for the rest of my life. Now, you don't even have to be a parent to know that that is an absolutely terrible idea. And giving that kind of money to a nine-year-old is not a blessing for that nine-year-old. It's, actually, it's more of a burden A nine-year-old doesn't know how to save their money, how to spend their money, or how to invest it. And as a parent, you do more for your child than just buy things for them. You teach them to have a work ethic, to have self-discipline, and to appreciate the things that they have. And God could, all at once, just give us all the possessions and the money that we think that we need. But really, that's not what we need. And that would be more of a burden for us than a blessing. And what we really need is to be dependent on God and to grow in our relationship with him. 
to know what it's like, the joy of giving sacrificially, to be content with the things that we have, and to grow in our trust for him. And when you think about the future in your life, you have a few options. You can worry about all the what-if scenarios, or you could go frantically chasing after every dollar, trying to build as much security, cushion, and comfort as you possibly can. Or you can seek first God's kingdom and trust that he will provide everything that you need. And I know that it can be pretty scary to be dependent on God. So I think that's why Jesus says in verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And if you are a believer in Jesus, then God has given you the kingdom. And this means that someday you will experience the presence of God and have eternal riches that I can't even imagine are like. And, and God's provision is not limited just to our lifetime, but beyond this lifetime and into eternity. And when I was preparing this sermon, I was honestly thinking about just poverty across the world, that there are Christians who scrounge around in trash heaps because otherwise they wouldn't have what they need to make it on a day-to-day -day basis. Think about people who really do go to bed hungry and Christians who have literally died of starvation even after they were following God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Where are these things? How can that be the case if Jesus says that he will provide? And when I run into these kind of tensions, I need to remind myself that God is always right. And if anything needs to change, it needs to be my perspective that changes. And as I was thinking about it, I, I thought about it in the sense of how limited my perspective often is. You see, when I was younger, I used to trust my parents to provide me food on a day-to-day -day basis. And there were a few times when my parents didn't provide a meal for me. And so let's say my parents didn't give me a lunch, and I'm looking at it within this perspective. It looks like my parents dropped the ball. They didn't provide for me. But let's expand that perspective a little bit more. My parents didn't feed me lunch because just a few hours later, we'd be having a giant Thanksgiving dinner. And when I'm experiencing that Thanksgiving dinner, I'm not going to regret not eating lunch before. Actually, I'm going to be glad that I saved room from lunch and now can experience the fullness of that Thanksgiving meal. And I think about people who maybe they have died of star starvation even though they were following God, but then they're with God in his presence and in his glory. And when they're experiencing the fullness of God's kingdom they're not going to look back at their time of lack on earth with regret, but they're going to just be so thankful for what they have now and to know that from that point on and into the rest of eternity that there will be no more lack, no more want in their life, that God will provide for every need for the rest of eternity. And I think that when we have that kind of perspective about the kingdom of God, that it can be like a safety net for us, a safety net that gives us 
a boldness to use our money to honor God and to be generous with our money in a way that the rest of the world might even see as risky. And I think that this is what Jesus continues to talk about in verse 33. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you are giving to Bridgewater Church, you are actually doing this. And I wanted to take a moment right now just to celebrate some of the ways that God is using you as a church to provide for the needs of others. I want to celebrate this morning how as a church we were able to provide a new furnace for an individual in our church whose furnace had broken down and she didn't have the money to pay for a new one. And that's God's provision through you. Just a few weeks ago we were collecting food items to give to the food pantry so that they could be distributed to um, less fortunate families during the Thanksgiving holiday so that they could have a nice Thanksgiving meal together. That's why we have that giving tree out in the lobby, to be able to be generous with what God has given us and to give gifts to kids who maybe otherwise wouldn't give a, get a gift. And when we are generous and give to others in need, it's, it's like we have a bank account in heaven that we're making deposits into. And the more that you are generous with your money and give to God during this life, the more deposits you're making in your heavenly bank account. I heard this story once of a really rich guy who just climbed up the ladder of success in business. And he was making millions of dollars. He held on to every dollar with an iron fist. And he told his wife one day, when I die, I want you to bury me with all of my money. And he made her promise that she would do this for him. And since she was a good wife, she, she kept that promise. And a few years later, this man died. And at, at his funeral, the pastor came up to the wife and he's like, did you really bury him with all of his money? And his wife says, yep, I did. I wrote him a check. <laughs> so here's my final question for you this morning. When you die, will you be united with your treasure or separated by it? Like at the end of your lifetime, are you going to be leaving behind a pile of things and possessions that you devoted your life to accumulating? Or are you going to be coming home to treasure where you have bank accounts that are overflowing with the deposits that you've made during this lifetime? And what you value determines the direction of your heart. It's what Jesus says, like where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you want to have a heart of generosity, a heart for giving to God and to other people, then I think the best way to do that is to actually be generous with your money and what God has given you. And oftentimes, what holds me back from generosity and using my money the way that Jesus is talking about. It's because I'm worried about the future. I think about all the what-if situations where I think that I would need that money. Or the other thing that holds me back is I just get so fixated on the treasures in this life that I can see. 
And it is not wrong to be motivated by treasures and reward. The real question is, are you chasing after the treasures that fade or the treasures that last for eternity? And I constantly need those kind of reminders in my life to make sure that my heart is in the right place and that I'm really chasing after the things that last. This is a really short book that I read actually when I was a teenager, and I think it's a super helpful reminder of just where my heart is based on what I'm doing with my money. Would anybody here be interested in reading a book like this? Go ahead and like raise your hand. All right, Ben, do you see that hand in the back? You got it. We, we are uh, selling this book for $5 at the Welcome Center, and it's not because we want to make money off this book. We don't make any money on it at all, but we just want to make it a, uh, a resource for you, make it easily accessible, because maybe you too, you just need that reminder to have your heart in the right place, to not worry, and to be all about storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. And uh, let's pray to God, because I need some help with that, and I, I think we all do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us so much hope, um, so much to look forward to. I'm thankful that you're not a God that just wants to keep us poor, that wants to keep us needy. Actually, you want to offer us the best things, and, and what is best is uh, what we can experience in heaven. So help us to focus on that. I thank you for your provision for us that, um, that we really don't have to worry. And worry is not helpful at all. It can consume my thoughts. It's, it's not productive. And so I ask that for everybody here, that you would help us to replace our worry with trust in you. And as we are dependent on you, I ask that we would grow in our relationship with you, that we would come to see your faithfulness in our lives time and time again, that we would know the joy of giving sacrificially, and that we would be thankful for everything that you've already given us. And Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.